Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why do they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the uh, women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. This is Alyssa, and as a triathlete, I am all about efficiency. That's why I'm excited that VeloFix is now a part of the Live Feisty community. VeloFix is North America's largest mobile bike shop fleet, and they know that your most valuable asset is time. VeloFix will meet you wherever you are at in your day so you don't miss a beat. Or if you have some time, you can hang out in the mobile bike shop and enjoy a complimentary cup of coffee to learn about the service being done. Interested? Here's how it works. Head to VeloFix.com or call 1-855-VELOFIX, set your appointment, and the local VeloFix technician will come directly to you. Book your service today using promo code FEISTY so they know you're an Iron Women listener. The first 100 listeners to book today using promo code FEISTY will receive a major tune for the price of a minor tune. Again, that's VeloFix.com and promo code FEISTY to enhance your bike service experience today. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. How's it going? Are you in your own version of like a post-desert running hangover after being at the Outspoken Summit for the last few days? How's it going? Alyssa, I don't think the Outspoken Summit can qualify as a six-day stage race. It was only three days long or or I guess, yeah, three days because I was there on Friday. But I am 
a little exhausted. I mean, emceeing is not carrying a heavy backpack through the desert, but it does take a lot of mental wherewithal to like be on schedule, be ready to introduce who you're going to introduce, a lot of networking time. And I do think most people think I'm like this natural extrovert. And to be honest, I'm not to disappoint, but I'm not. So I'm doing a little bit of recovery time right now. You can see I still have my voice, which is great. I don't, I think I managed to get out of the summit without a cold, which is also fantastic. But I'm also very lucky that my coach, Matthew, like he, he wrote in a couple of easier days coming out of the summit. And I'm very thankful for that because I have needed the recovery, but it was an amazing time as you can imagine. Okay. So you got there on Friday. Let's hear the highlights from your angle what was your favorite part what are what can people kind of go back I think some of it we might be well I guess we can't really watch it on Facebook but I know I saw some highlights I think on Instagram and stuff so what are the things that you enjoyed the most from the weekend right so this was my second time as the MC of the outspoken women in triathlon summit presented by triathlete magazine And it was also the second time that the summit was held in sunny, beautiful Tempe, Arizona. We were on the campus of Arizona State University and last year, which was different because last year we were primarily in a hotel and I really enjoyed being at the college campus. There's just something nice about, you know, being in a place of learning and we were at the rec center at ASU. So it was also a place of learning and working out, which are like my favorite things. And it was just a very nice venue. ASU is a beautiful campus. And as I mentioned, this year it started on Friday, like a Friday during the day. They had pre-summit sessions. One was hosted by our show producer, Sarah Gross, and many-time champion, Kona runner-up, Rachel Joyce. And they were hosting a summit on becoming a professional triathlete. And so myself and Sarah True, we dropped in on that session and honestly, in just that hour that I was in attendance, I I learned a lot from everyone's insight. And I think a lot of the the skills that were discussed in that session, even though they were geared toward new pro triathletes or top age groupers who are getting into professional triathlon, they probably could be used for like any professional endeavor. Cause as we've learned a lot of the the skills that we learn in triathlon are very applicable to life. So that was really cool that I got to see that. Um, Another, the other pre- session was on diversity and inclusion that was hosted by Lisa, Lisa Ingerfield. And I wasn't able to attend that one since the two sessions were held simultaneously, but I heard really good things. So, so Friday was actually almost like a full day. I managed to get a little run in there and a little swim with Kelly O'Mara from if we were riding. Um, I, she did a little bit more than me. I only swam a thousand because I needed to shower and get ready for, for our keynote speaker. Cause that is the thing when you're the MC one of your primary jobs is like mic checking, you know, making sure microphones work. I think that is my most valuable role as an MC is just making sure that when the keynote speaker gets up there, the microphone is working and everyone can hear her. So I had to be on time. And that, that being said, our opening keynote speech was with Sarah True and who is two-time Olympian. We've had her on the podcast and it was different than I expected. I think I was expecting Sarah to, to speak something about you know, her year and, and we've seen these ups and downs that she's had at races and overcoming that adversity. And instead, you know, Sarah, Sarah is a very cerebral and thoughtful athlete. And her speech was, was more focused on privilege and probably more in line with the summit's message of leading from the inside out. She kind of used the examples of recent tone deaf Instagram posts that she's seen made by other athletes as a means for recognizing our own privilege and 
not using that knowledge to feel bad about our own opportunities, but more to acknowledge that others aren't in our same position and it's our responsibility to seek out and listen to their issues as well. So it did set the tone for, for the whole weekend. That's super exciting. I can't believe we're only at the end of Friday right now. So, okay. So then Saturday, usually things kick off on Saturday with a group workout, right? So did you join one of the groups for Saturday? And then how did things go from there? Oh no, Alyssa, you're calling me out on here because there was a group workout, right? It was a group run and I, this might be too much information, but I, so I discovered Friday night that I hadn't packed any underwear and I had plan to wear a dress on Saturday and a skirt on Sunday. So this was a big deal. I mean, or probably wasn't, I probably could have gotten away with it, but it is like, you should probably wear underwear if you're wearing a dress and a skirt, like in front of a crowd. It's just a little too breezy and like too much can go wrong. Right. Like what, that would be the time I tripped and fell. And I I just, I'm, I'm a little bit more private person than that. So I had to skip out on the group run to make a quick trip to Walmart to get some underwear. So I did have underwear on everyone. Don't worry. But that is why I was not at the group run. I ran earlier on my own in the dark so that I could get to Walmart right when it opened. Um, but I did hear great things about that group run. <laughs> is that too I didn't much mean to, to share on the podcast? No, and I did not mean to call you out for that. <laughs> uh, but... But let's let's give me give me the other two highlights. I know we had um, some some people were returning right from the the first year, um, but there were also a lot of like new speakers, and obviously the topics for this year were were totally different. So did you talk to other people maybe like who were there last year as well, and like how, what what did you guys think year to year? So last year's theme was more about the progression of triathlon, the history, the present, the, the future. And this year was more about leadership and leading from the inside out. And um, which, again, I was a little confused about that meaning, but it was it, it was probably more leadership focused. So Saturday session, I mean, we, we kicked it off with um, a keynote by Sal, Sally, who now goes by Sal, Sal Edwards, um, who is a pioneer in the sport. She was on a panel last year, very popular ended up as a keynote this year. She is not one to be missed. And if we, I believe they are going to hopefully release the audio from um, the summit for anyone who wasn't there. And that it's definitely worth listening to. We're going back to last year's. I think her interview, we actually did include in a podcast episode. So definitely worth listening to. And she has, you know, she's just an extremely successful entrepreneur and has, you know, is very, very eager to share her, how she's done things and to help other women follow in her footsteps, which is, is wonderful. The other keynote that was highly anticipated was Dr. Rachel McKinnon. And many people might recognize her as the woman who won the master's track cycling world championship title. She won the 35 to 39 age group and it caused an uproar because she is a trans woman and she's also a trans rights activist and a philosophy professor at the college of Charleston. So she's very well-spoken, very comfortable analyzing and conducting research and her presentation, her keynote speech, plus the panel on gender in triathlon that followed, which included Rachel McKinnon, uh, sociologist Dr. Lisa George, pro triathlete Rachel McBride, and USA Triathlon safe sport representative Megan Rich, it honestly hit me pretty hard. And over the past 48 hours, I've really had to wrap my head around the the gender binary athletic world that I've lived in my entire life and kind of take a step back, examine the strengths and weaknesses of that system. And 
it's led me to like reach out to some of my most trusted advisors and kind of have these conversations with them, which is probably the purpose of Rachel's, you know, talk and of that panel is to have these conversations about the meanings of equity and fairness and the gender binary system of sport and the gender binary system and culture and life, which I do think are two different things. And so it, it impacted my way of thinking. I'm glad I was able to learn from them and it has, it will definitely affect my, my takeaways in the next couple months, years, and just, I guess, all of my life to come. So it was very, very impactful. And I think we all will definitely look forward to hearing some of that audio if we can. So we will share that, those details with our listeners as um, it becomes available to us. And hopefully we will be able to, to share that audio, make that available um, for purchase later on. And Haley, I know, I believe NCAA women's triathlon was a, a little part of this as well. Can you share that? Alyssa, the NCAA Women's Triathlon Championship was going on in Tempe, Arizona, right at the exact same time as the summit. And that was one of the criticisms of the summit, I think, was that we didn't organize like a little field trip to go over there and and watch those women compete because it was fierce racing. I think a couple people did kind of skip out on some sessions um, if I, if I can go off of their Instagram stories and to go watch the women compete. And so on Sunday, I maybe be- they, maybe they also had to pick up some underwear. <laughs> maybe they just, yeah, they didn't do it at six in the morning, but, um, but yeah, no shame there. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do. So uh, what happened though, is that a lot of the NCAA coaches and athletes, I think they were actually given scholarships to attend the summit on Sunday was, so the, their competition was on Saturday on Sunday, the, the summit continued. We had, um, you know, more great keynote speakers. Colonel Yvonne Spencer spoke, uh, Takima Dorsey, who we've had on this podcast, Alyssa, she is like the best hype woman you've ever met. Like, I don't know if we fully like captured her enthusiasm in that interview. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it because she was making me feel good about myself. I mean, she was giving this, this talk on leadership and we were all like, screaming and cheering and giving thumbs up and it was most engagement I've ever seen so if you ever needed a hype woman Dr. Dakima Dorsey is your woman but going back to uh to NCAA triathlon so we had all these coaches and and athletes in attendance and I actually had a, a quick chance to um hear Dina Gardner and uh oh I'm Nicole Welling, sorry, her name escaped me there. This So Dina Gardner is the Associate Athletic Director at Arizona State University. And Nicole Welling is the Assistant Coach of the Triathlon Team, the NCAA Triathlon Team at ASU. And ASU had just clenched their fourth consecutive NCAA Division I title um, the previous day. So they have been dominant. I mean, you have to think about those seniors have never lost an NCAA championship. That's incredible. And what was also wild was that NCC, NCC is division three. They had also won four years in a row and their coach and the athletes were there and, and they talked to us about NCAA triathlon, where it is. And right now I think they have 31 of the 40 schools that they need to be a fully, like a full NCAA sport. They have until 2024. So it's looking really good that they will become a full on sport. ASU is like leading this initiative to get more teams, like get more schools adding the team. If you have any questions about putting together a NCAA team at your alma mater, there are people who will help either through USA Triathlon, Nicole Welling would help you. I mean, this whole, I didn't ever even realize this, but Nicole Welling, who's the assistant coach, 
it was her master's thesis project, bringing in a triathlon team to ASU. And then she got a meeting with the athletic director at ASU and basically made, brought it to life. And so as she was, just like one person can change things. And she and Dina Gardner, everyone just wants to help. So there are resources out there. They want to work with the media. Alyssa, I'm going to challenge us, you and me, to, you know, to get more NCAA triathlon in our, on our radar, especially because the season is so short. It only runs from Labor Day to November. So that is something for 2020 that I, I definitely want to encourage everyone to pay more attention to. And, and we're going to do our part here at Iron Women as well. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing those details, Haley. And again, we will have more about the wrap up that comes from the summit um, in the weeks to follow as we get that information. We'll get that to you. And we will also, I'm sure, soon have some information on the Outspoken Summit 2020 so everyone can block that off on their calendars early. And of course, thank you to Triathlete Magazine and all of the other wonderful sponsors that helped to bring that weekend to light. It was a good time. I, I hope to return for 2020. And it was so good to see so many familiar faces from last year. So many familiar faces from our podcast. I mean, to meet people that we've only interviewed and then to meet them in person. I could run through the list. There are quite a few. And there are some really amazing women in this sport. And just anecdotally getting to observe how how they speak, you know, and how they they conduct themselves and how they handle criticism if they are in a position of power was so valuable let let alone the connections that i made just meeting people the average you know average i consider myself in that you know person who doesn't hasn't written a book isn't a us senator isn't you know the, a colonel in the air force um meeting those people as well who were brought together by this sport but there's some amazing amazing women it was it was a worthwhile trip and in sunny arizona i mean it wasn't hard to it was it was kind of nice going out for a run in a tank top and sunglasses and not worrying about snow i mean that was that was quite a joy well, we will switch gears a little bit here. And basically you go from Outspoken Summit right on into the holidays. So if people are busy um, coming out of the summit, a little tired, we are about to make your holiday shopping very easy for you over the next few weeks. This week, um, just head to livefeisty.com. There are some feisty gift ideas, great ways to support our sponsors and the companies that just kind of keep us bringing you this lovely podcast week over week. So um, there's also some winter feisty gear I hear and um, a really cool like my mom would love it because it's sparkly like phone case involved in live feisty. So a lot of good new gear, stocking stuffers and other items from our sponsors there. And of course, we still have until December 14th, the form goggles, $20 off with the code IRONWOMEN. And you can use that on your order of form goggles. And that is exclusive for you guys as our podcast listeners. So take advantage of that and get the triathlete or swimmer in your life a pair of form swim goggles. Oh my goodness. I haven't even thought about holiday shopping. I just, oh, that's a lot. But having a gift guide, that does help. So definitely need to check that out. And Alyssa, do we have any mailbag questions this week? Haley, we do. And just a reminder to our listeners, you can send us your questions at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this week we have a question coming in from Michelle. And this just kind of made me laugh because she wants to know how many flat tires we get in a year. And 
I want to clarify that I'm sure she's talking about cycling. I've had actually like two flat tires because of nail incidents in my vehicle this year, which has been very unnerving. And I feel like that is out of the ordinary, but they're doing construction near my apartment. So I'm sure that plays a part. But anyway, with, so that was like the first thing that popped into my mind because obviously I'm, I'm still a little bit angry about these tire situations I'm dealing with. with Those my are car. a little harder to change. The car tire is a little bit harder to change when it gets a flat yeah. versus the bicycle oh, yeah. tire. I've learned a lot about like if you can just pull the nail out, if you have to leave it in, yada, yada. But if you get something in your bike tire, it behooves you to change it when it happens before anything worse happens out there. So I was thinking about this and I like am afraid to even talk about it out, out loud because knock on wood, I don't think I get too many. I would say an average year, probably five or less, like a handful or less. But I will say that I think a large part of that is one, because now riding a Wahoo kicker is my trainer. My tire, uh, like my training tire, doesn't get worn down because it's the direct drive type of trainer. And so I no longer, like I did in the first several years when I was doing triathlon, I'm not like burning rubber, literally, um, on the back wheel of my trainer and then being like, oh, I'm sure it's fine going out and finding out it's actually too thin and getting flats that way. So I definitely have gotten a lot less flats since riding on a direct drive trainer, which is like a huge plus for those. And then I also, I do, I pay very special attention to like the wear of my tires. And if it's questionable, I will change it out just because I, I am, I don't know. I guess I, I'm a little bit probably too proactive sometimes with that. And I have like a whole stash of old tires that I'm like not sure. And they're in this like weird in-between state that it sits in my shed, but it's, it does help me get less flats than I ever have before. What about you, Haley? Can you put a count on it? No, I can't put a count on it. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the trainer. So my number is probably lower, um, like you mentioned, but I would also add that I did a swim camp or not swim camp, a triathlon camp, uh, years ago as an age grouper in Louisville. And I, we had to ride over the bridge. Like we stayed on the, what's the state across the way? Is it Indiana? <laughs> oh, um, I think I so. I think we stayed on the Indiana side. My geography, forgive me, I'm tired. We stayed on the Indiana side. So we were riding across the bridge that we you used to like run on for part of that course. They've changed the run course. But we rode across the bridge and they had like these expansion gaps. And I got like two flats like on the bridge. Like it was like one of those things like on the very beginning of the bridge, I got a flat and then I changed it. And then by the end of the time I got like halfway to the bridge, I got another flat. And then I had one other scary flat where I was doing a 120 mile ride and I was at mile, we were doing a 60 mile out and back. And at mile 58, I had like a blowout, like flat tire where like the tire was like, it was, the tire had been too worn. So I had, all I had was like a $20 bill. So I put like a $20 bill in there and it held until we could get to a bike shop, which was probably like 30 miles later. But this might have been before like Uber was quite as as prevalent. Uber and Lyft were quite as prevalent as they are now. So those experiences did kind of flavor my 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 how I am now. And I'm with you. I pay pretty close attention to my tires and I will spend the money and get good bike tires when I'm outside because I also value my training time. I got a flat tire three hours in or, you know, or like a flat where it, my, my tire was, it was irreparable. And it did not mean that I, I was doing three, three hours into a six hour ride. Luckily I was doing that one, two loops. So I was pretty close to the car, but 
it didn't mean that like I only got to ride three hours because when you're a pro, like what it was, was that three hour, like I did my six hour ride the next day. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, you know, it's my job. I had to get, still get the ride done. And so, and again, I wouldn't always say like, it doesn't count, but that was the conversation with me and my coach based on my training. I ended up doing the exact, the whole workout the next day. So I do pay a lot of attention to my tires. I will spend the money. It, it does. Like you said, with your car, with your bike sucks sometimes when you're like, Oh, like I ran over that and like now it's going to cost me, you know, $50, but it's safer that way and it will take up less time. And I do think that having good equipment, like it, it is, it's worth the money. So I don't get too many. And that, and the same with races, like I almost always race on like either brand new or very, very mildly used. It is one of those things like once I've raced on tires for like a little bit, I will change them over to my training wheels when they're still really good. I think that is one of the ways to to prevent a, a flat in a race is to just make sure your equipment's in really good working order. And as Michelle did point out later in her email to the mailbag that um, even when they are a pain in the butt, they do teach you patience, endurance, and true grit, which is true. Like sometimes I do feel like when they happen, they can happen in succession. And then you really have to like one, check all of your like gear and like figure out exactly what the problem is because clearly what you're doing probably isn't fixing the overall problem there. But two, just having patience and like knowing that that will, that phase will pass too is important. It's just like another step in the stone of becoming a a true triathlete, I guess. Great question though. I mean, that is an interesting one. Maybe we could do like an Instagram poll sometime to ask people how many flat tires they get. But it, like you said, it probably does depend also on where you live. If you have to ride through a construction zone all the time, your chances are a lot more than if you're riding on like the smooth roads of, you know, some perfectly manicured area. If that's where you live, please tell me because I'm going to move gonna there. Say, please write in and tell us where that is. If it is. Uh, but Haley, we do have a fantastic interview for people. This is a huge treat that she took the time to chat with us today. Haley and I talked to Emma Coburn. So she is not a triathlete, but she is an American middle distance runner who specializes in the 3K, 3000 meter steeplechase. Um, she Wait, wait, Alyssa, what's the steeplechase? So the steeplechase is a 3,000-meter track race, and there are 28 barriers and seven barriers followed by a water pit. And the water pit is 3.66 meters long, and each lap, the runners hurdle four barriers followed by a water jump. And the barrier heights for women are 30 inches. I'm I'm giving that in inches because that is, like, giving me more perspective, but that's point seven six two meters so it's like basically my favorite track race track event that there is to spectate super exciting and I feel like that almost could count I mean that gets you closer to triathlon because you are running with wet feet basically she's doing swim run is what we're trying to say (laughs) yes that is yeah she is it's swim run without the wetsuit and the pull boy yeah, Emma just has no idea that that's what she's been training for all of her all of her Olympic time. So she did compete for the United States in the 2012 London Olympics, the 2016 Rio Olympics, where she got bronze in the 3,000 meter steeplechase, and then she became in 2017 the first American women, woman to win gold in a steeplechase event at a World Championships or the Olympics. And this year in the World Championships that was in Doha in September, she was the silver medalist. So. Emma knows a thing or two about steeplechase, but she also knows a lot about sport in general, and she shares a lot of that with us here next. 
Earlier this year, our sponsor, Wahoo Fitness, did a huge giveaway here on the podcast. We caught up with Jen Matro, who won the Element Bolt bike computer. Jen, it's been a few months since you won our Wahoo Fitness sweepstakes. How has life been since you became a Wahooligan? Alyssa, is it weird to say that I love my bike computer? The Element Bolt does it all. I can see any metric I need, power, distance, cadence, but I have to say that my absolute favorite feature is how you can enter a destination into the phone app and it will instantly create a route to guide you there with the Bolt. I used that a lot in Nice when I was there for the 70.3 World Championships. Thanks, Jen. We love hearing your feedback. If any of our listeners want to give the bike trainers, bike computers, and heart rate monitors that make up the Wahoo Fitness ecosystem of products a try, head to wahoofitness.com. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport Watermelon Flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance Lemon Lime Flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So you grew up in Crested Butte, Colorado, where you partook in the family sports, which is like a whole long list from what I've read, which included (laughs) hiking, rafting, uh, mountain biking, snowboarding, and skiing. And you've said that you didn't even focus on running as your number one sport until your junior year of high school. Despite that lack of focus on running, though, did you grow up thinking like, you could be a world champion at something one day. Did you always kind of have a drive to be the best at something? And maybe you just weren't quite sure what that was going to be yet. I was always, um, a very competitive person and loved, loved sports, but growing up in a really small town, it never, uh, collegiate athletics wasn't a thing that people participated in like it it just wasn't part of the narrative of our lives there like everyone again played a lot of sports did everything outside ski snowboarding etc but it wasn't uh pursuing like collegiate athletics or olympic level sport wasn't really the reason we did sports it was because we loved it and we you know we had fun and it, it was rewarding but we didn't participate in sports to like get a college scholarship or make an Olympic team. So it really wasn't until I, um, started getting offered college scholarships my senior year that I thought, Oh, I guess I could keep doing this. Um, and then it took a few years of me being in college to realize, Oh, I could maybe win an NCAA title or I could make an Olympic team or I can be a U.S. champion. Um, so my, my progression in terms of what my goals were in the sport was also pretty late and um I didn't really ever dream bigger than like what was the next logical step in front of me um because like I said growing up it just wasn't it wasn't a part of our thought process or our life 
Has that changed at all in, in your communities? Have younger kids seen you go on to do all these great things and maybe it kind of changed the atmosphere a bit? I definitely think there's there's been more, you know, young runners from Crested Butte that have uh, wanted to go run at the collegiate level, whether it's, you know, D1 or D2 or D3. Um, and again, it's such a small town. There's, you know, 20, 30 kids in each class in each grade. And so, um, the, I do think there's been a slight increase in terms of just kids coming up to me and asking like, how do you run in college? How do you, you know, run in the Olympics? I've received more and more questions like that over the years, but yet yeah, was never a thought of mine when I was in school. And we want to continue on the Crested Butte theme of questions because Crested Butte, Colorado is at 9,000 feet above sea level. And I live in Montana. I live about 5,000 feet above sea level. And I know that I struggle a lot with dehydration. And since Noon Hydration is a sponsor of our podcast, and it's also one of your personal sponsors, uh, we definitely want to ask if you use Noon to help your hydration when you are at one of your super tude camps in Crested Butte. And if so, what is your favorite Noon flavor? Well, I just drink Noon all the time. Anytime I have a glass of water, I have Noon in it um, because it is just such low sugar. It is something that I just drink every day when I'm training in Boulder, which is at 5,500 feet or off season, whatever. I just always am drinking it. But definitely when I'm at training camp in Crested Butte, you know, really, you know, running twice a day, running 90 plus miles a week at 9,000 feet, hard workouts, lifting three times a week, all of that, um, I definitely have to focus more on taking care of my body. And part of that is hydration. And so when I'm, when I'm there, I try and drink a gallon of water a day and I'll put, depending on the day, I'll either just put a whole tube of noon in that gallon at the start of the day and then just pour from the gallon or, you know, every time I fill up a glass, uh, if it's just regular water in the gallon, put, put a tab in my water in my glass. I'm sorry. So yeah, I, I try and drink a gallon of noon a day when I'm at home in Crest View training because yeah, it is so taxing on your body being at, at that, at that altitude. Emma, I'm wondering if your dad has taken to noon because when we were at your your parents' house um, filming for the Nunes TV episode that we did, your dad was, I think one of my favorite moments of that was like your dad picking up the noon um, tube. And I think we can all relate to this as daughters is like seeing the dad like investigating and he's just kind of asking us questions. He's like, I always see Emma going around putting these in all of her, her glasses and stuff. Like what's exactly <laughs> in this stuff? It was very funny. So I don't know if your dad has taken up the, the noon hydration habit as well, but he was definitely interested. <laughs> yeah. I, I left a bunch of noon up there after altitude camp and after our filming of noon TV and my whole family, my parents, my siblings, my friends, you know, I, I give it to anyone who who's thirsty or um, I, I really recommend um, the sleep, the noon rest to people. Um, I give that a lot to my friends and teammates when we're on the road traveling in different time zones. And just, you need that, that boost of, you know, the tart cherry and the magnesium and all of that to kind of help get you sleepy and ready for bed. So I, I definitely share it with people and, and my dad likes it and he, he's, yeah, he, he drinks plenty of it now, and as does everyone in my family. Okay, so we do want to get back to running um, and ask you some more questions there. So 
You were 18 years old in 2008 when the women's 3000 meter steeplechase debuted as an Olympic event in Beijing, even though the men's race had been contested for more than a century. Did the addition of a women's race to the Olympic schedule change your college or post-collegiate plans? No, I really, I, I did the steeplechase for the very first time the summer of 2007. And just because I was at a race and run, I was running an 800 and it was out of state. We had driven from Colorado to Albuquerque and my dad didn't want me to just go there to run two laps. The only event that I could double enter in was the steeplechase. So I just tried it and I ended up winning the race and qualifying for high school nationals. So I tried it really due to a scheduling conflict. And then a year and that at that national meet, I ended up getting fourth place. And that's when my college coaches started recruiting me. So I actually showed interest and showed skill and promise in it in 2007 before I even knew about, you know, before I even followed anything about collegiate athletics or um, professional running, any of that. So it was kind of just lucky that I tried it out. And then I remember right before I went to college, I watched the Olympics and my, uh, a, a woman that went to university of Colorado with me, Jenny Simpson, she was in those Beijing Olympics. And my dad was like, Oh, she goes to Colorado. She's going to be your teammate. And I was like, Oh, cool. You know, and definitely didn't connect the dots on how lucky that I was that I happened to excel an event that, that now suddenly got to be a part of the Olympics. And so, yeah, it was more just serendipitous that I, that I excelled in that. And then it was in the Olympics at the right time for me. And since you now have several years of steepling under your belt, do you have any ideas on why it took so long to add a women's race? I know the marathon wasn't even added until 1984, I believe Olympics. So it just seems crazy that it took until 2008 when the men's race was happening since like the first modern Olympics in Athens. Yeah, I honestly have no idea why it took so long. I think I was 17 when I watched those Olympics and genuinely knew nothing about Olympic level running, professional running. I wasn't a kid that followed the sport growing up. Um, And so I, I don't, I didn't know the reason then. And I frankly don't know the reason now. And yeah, I, I made the Olympic team in 2012 and in 2016 and hope to make it in 2020. And, um, I'm just happy that it's that it's there and that it's in the Olympics. I haven't really questioned the the past life of it. And Emma, so in 2012, when you made that first Olympics team for yourself, you were 21 years old and you were the youngest runner on the American team at the London Olympics. So in that event, you finished ninth with your then personal best time of 923 in the 3K steeple. So what was it like to be, you know, 21 years old? in the London Olympics, but you were the youngest, like, were you just soaking everything in at that point? Or were you just kind of focused on your next Olympics? And that would be to come in four years. What was your thought process? I, there were, there were a few, there were a few younger track athletes, jumpers or relay members, but yeah, I think I was the youngest individual runner for team USA. And I didn't really think about it. I had made the, the world team the year prior and was the had won two U.S. titles and was the only American to make the final at Worlds in 2011. So I kind of felt like me being there is like where I belonged. And it it definitely, I remember looking down the starting line at those Olympics and thinking for the first time in my, in my international career, like, okay, I belong here. 
I'm, I can do this. Um, and yeah, I got ninth and ran a great time for me at the time, but it was just very illogical. It all felt like, okay, I worked hard. I ran this time. Of course I should be here. It was all very business-like, but then the most kind of magical moment for me of those Olympics was when I, me and a teammate uh, from Colorado both qualified and we walked the opening ceremony together. And she and I are juniors in college, young athletes. Um, she's the same age as me and Chalet Kip. And we walked together and we were just like blown away of just, that was kind of when it hit us of like, oh, wow, we are Olympians. This is incredible. Um, and then when it came time to race, it was just, you know, all right, I've raced this race a million times before and just go to work and get it done. And it all became very logical, but it was incredible doing the opening ceremonies. And then in 2016, I skipped the opening ceremonies and that trip was much more about winning a medal. The first Olympics was about, you know, being grateful for being there and just trying to compete the best that I could. But the second Olympics was about being focused on winning a medal and I was able to win the bronze, which was cool. And that does lead us into our next question about the 2016 Rio Olympics, where you became the first American woman to ever earn a medal in the 3K steeple, that bronze medal you just mentioned. And then a year later in 2017, you lined up for the world championships, winning that race and becoming the first American woman to win a gold medal in the 3K steeple at either the world championships or the Olympics. So in these races, you were lining up against Olympic champions and world record holders all of whom had run faster than you ever had prior to those race days. And we all, we all love a good underdog story, but as hearing you speak for the last couple of minutes, I have my hunch is that you never saw yourself as an underdog in these situations. Can you talk a little bit about lining up against the best competition in the world and the confidence that you carried into those race days? Yeah, I, I'm a very logical person that I just, think back to the workouts that I've done. And I think back to my training and I think that's part of why I've had a really consistent career as a runner. And I don't have that many races that I bomb. And I think part of that, yeah, is just that I'm, I'm logical. And I like to think back of what my workouts were and what my training was. And my coach, Joe, who's my husband, he says, like confidence is earned. And so I want to be able to get on that starting line and know that I've earned the right to feel confident about myself. I know that I've worked really hard to feel ready to race. And in high school, I was like a nervous wreck when it came to racing. I hated racing and it's because I didn't train at all. So every race was just scary because I didn't, I didn't have the preparation. I didn't know how it was going to go. Um, but if you prepare really well and you work out hard and you train smart and all of that, I think it's, it's easy to get to the starting line and just feel ready to work and ready to, you know, put it all out there. I love that. And Emma, we're now talking to you in about mid November, which is about seven months away from the U S Olympic trials for track and field. So what's life like for you right now, as you're preparing for those races? Yeah, I just started. Um, I've, I've basically been running since uh, the world championships at the you know, early October. I've been running since then, you know, taking days off here and there and going on vacation and having fun. But just this week, we started practice with gentle workouts and a more structured training. And so from now until the Olympic trials in which are in 
at the end of June, I believe. I'll just be ramping it up every week, getting a little bit harder. I'll be getting fitter. Um, but it's, it's all, it's a pretty gentle progression. And like, I'm only running probably 60 miles this week, but I'll end up running 90 miles, you know, through this progression, um, and then stay there for a while. And so just building mileage, building intensity. Um, we do have indoor track, which is in February and I'll probably do a race there, but it's not, it's pretty low key. So yeah, just really all eyes on, on June and trying to make, uh, my third Olympic team. Emma, you recently ran in Doha Cutter for the IAAF World Championships, where you placed second. And I believe you you finished with a new PR um, best time of 9.02.35. But before the race, the coverage showed the Kenyan women saying that they wanted to take the gold back to Kenya. Did you feel like there was a huge rivalry on the line during that race? And are, are you and Courtney Frerichs and Colleen Quigley and Ali Ostrander plotting so we can get the gold back next summer? It's not that exciting. No, that's a media, like that's a story that the media likes to tell. The Kenyan women don't work together to strategize against us. And the American women don't work together to strategize against the Kenyans. It's such an individual effort. And of course, I hope that me and Courtney and Colleen and Allie and Mel Lawrence and Shalaya Kip, I hope all of us can, you know, make Olympic teams and win medals and be successful, but it is such an individual thing. And I, I laugh because I've been asked so many times about that, um, what you asked about the Kenyans. And when you speak to them, this, there's not a rivalry. I mean, yes, we'd like to beat each other, but there's not like this big um, Kenya versus America battle happening at all. And that's just kind of a, a, I think it's like a media driven narrative, but yeah, I would like to win another medal in Tokyo. That's what I'm training for. And that's what my standard is. And I'll be disappointed if I don't win a medal. Um, And am I exclusively striving for a gold medal? No, I think being on the podium is such an honor and um, I would love a gold medal, but um, yeah, I'm just really seeking that podium again. I guess I'm not too surprised that the media was skewing that story a little bit, but it did give a pretty exciting build into that race. I have to say for those of us who are watching. So, um, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) I guess they accomplished what they want with that along the lines of the steeplechase being one of, you know, I feel the more exciting events that happen in track and field recently, the world athletics diamond league, which is track and fields, premier worldwide race circuit announced that it was cutting the women's and the men's steeplechase along with three other track and field events from their full schedule. So we think we understand that this means that steeple athletes will still compete in some of the diamond league meets, but you won't be accruing diamond league points or compete in the diamond league final and prize money for the event from the diamond league will decrease about 30%. So I guess, are we correct? And what is your reaction to this news? It's super frustrating and the rationale is that they don't want uh they want a 90 minute tv window instead of a two-hour tv tv window and to achieve that goal they're cutting events and i just think it's really unfair to athletes into the sport to to punish athletes and specific event areas instead of thinking about how they can 
change the production, change replay, make their less time in between events to just do a little bit more self-reflection on their, um, their productions and less about being so, so, uh, demeaning to the athletes in their events. Um, they blame the athletes for not promoting ourselves and for not having better social media and for not branding ourselves and all of this is a reason why our specific event areas are considered boring. And I think that's a pretty lame excuse, especially since social media has only been around for 10 years and track and field has been around on television for decades successfully. So yeah, it, it affects a lot. It affects the growth of the sport. Those specific, specifically the, the discus, triple jump, and steeplechase, we train so specifically for that event. Um, and it's hard. A discus thrower can't just go and throw javelin. There, you can't transition into another event when you're so specifically trained for, for, for one event. And in a te- in a technical event, I should say, like those three I mentioned. So it's they're just killing those events because what athlete is going to want to compete in an event that doesn't have prize money, that doesn't have exposure, what brands are going to want to give contracts to athletes that aren't getting the same exposure as the athletes that are in the diamond league. Um, and then again, it's, it's a ton of money that, that um, we're not, I'm not sure how it will all be. Um, they claim they're going to find ways that the cut event areas will be able to earn that money, but that's to be determined still. And so I have, you know, I don't have a ton of faith that it's going to be dime for dime exact. And yeah, it's frustrating. And I feel upset because I've done a ton of, you know, free promotional work with the diamond league and with the IAAF and they've exploited and used my social media and my channels to promote themselves, but then they say, I, you know, mine isn't good enough anymore and that they, um, you know, that my event is boring. And I know it's not about me, but it just is upsetting. That seems crazy. I think you have, you have like 300,000 Instagram followers. Like what, what is the bar? I mean, I, I can't even think of another athlete who has more. Yeah. Is, um, I mean, maybe like there's like, I don't know, is Tom Brady even on there? Like, I'm, I mean, I guess like different sports, but I guess within like IAAF, like I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't, fo- I follow more of like Seafull <laughs> Chase kind of that because I think your race is exciting, but that's kind of bizarre that they would say that you don't create a brand because I would say out of athletes that aren't in, you know, the NFL where it kind of, they do it for you, that you do a really good job. Well, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I think it's just broad strokes saying that in our events, it's, it's boring and we're not promoting ourselves. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have an answer because I am just as baffled and confused as you are. So yes, it's bizarre and frustrating and it seems like they're sticking to their guns and they're not going to change it for 2020. And I don't have faith that that it's going to change for 2021, but, um, they, they say they're going to reassess after 2020. 
so we can all just follow all the steeplers and comment, engage, like all your posts and make sure that like, I don't know, do our little part. We'll all tune in for the steeple. It's a super exciting race. I want, when you won the world championship, I mean, that race was like crazy. I had to rewatch it like so many times. Cause it's like, there's so much going on and, and I don't know how you jump over those barriers. It's incredible, but moving on, we will, um, we'll hopefully we can do our part, but you are actually our second iron woman podcast guest who has been in the ESPN body issue. Uh, we also had Olympic gold medalist, Jesse Diggins, Nordic skier, come on the show a couple or a year and a half ago, I think. So I'm curious about, you know, your experience being in the body issue in the frame of what advice do you have for young female runners in regards to their bodies as they pursue their running goals? This is very topical right now. Yeah, very topical. I think in the case of Mary Kane, she was manipulated and bullied and didn't have the the resources she needed to be able to live a healthy, um, you know, live a healthy life. And that's really sad. And I've, I've been lucky that I've always had positive voices around me in regards to my body. I think in terms of the body issue, I just never cared what people thought of my body. I never had, I, this is, it's such an individual thing that I was, I've just been lucky to not have issues with body dysmorphia or eating disorders or judgments about my body. I've just always kind of seen it as itself and seen it as the thing that the tool that helps me do my job. And I've seen it get strong and I've seen it um, make me a better athlete and achieve my goals and make, you know, make Olympic teams and win medals. So I've just always respected my body and not hated it. And, and that's something that I think growing up, I just had really uh, always being so athletic and adventurous. My body was like this tool that let me go climb a mountain or jump into a Creek or whatever it was. So it, it just wasn't something that I was ever self-conscious about. So when I got the offer to do it, I, got, I just needed my boyfriend, my dad and my grandpa to give me the approval that it was okay with them. Um, because I, you know, those, those three men are very important to me and I didn't want to make, um, them feel at all uncomfortable, but I was always comfortable and all three of them were like, great, go for it. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, and yeah, it was fun. We shot, it was snowing, and it was very cold, but we shot it in Crested Butte. And um, yeah, it was awesome. I, I love that I got to do it. I would do it again in a heartbeat if I was asked. I think the body issue is so cool because it shows so many different shapes and sizes and sports. And it shows that it's not, you don't just have to be super thin or you don't have to be super strong or you don't have to be super tall or you don't have to be an extreme in any way. But it's just about maximizing your own body to maximize the sport you're in. Um, and so, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I think the body issue is such a cool concept that I was really happy to be a part of it. And Emma, as a professional runner, you spend a lot of time and energy on training, but we know it's just as important that you spend a lot of time resting. So do you have any Netflix recommendations for our listeners who might be looking to binge watch something while they ride their bikes on the trainer inside this winter? Oh, <laughs> um, on Netflix, I 
love Schitt's Creek. I love, I watch a lot of great British baking show. Um, and like friends is always a great one or the office is always a great one to put on. But, um, yeah, I guess those are the shows that I have been watching lately. If you have HBO, Veep is like one of my favorite shows of all time. Trying to think of some dramas that I've loved. Um, I love all these funny shows and they are great, but I found that like, if I try to watch them like on the trainer, like Alyssa mentioned, like we're riding the bike, you know, during the winter, like in my garage, I start laughing too hard and it's like impossible (laughs) to even do an easy ride. So maybe these are best for like, yeah, downtime. Um, they are, those are good, good ones. One other question I did want to just touch on really quick. We know we're at the end of our time with you, but uh, your your group that you have, like you're, you have built this group of female, primarily female athletes and runners that train with you. And so I'm curious about, you know, your, I guess the short version of the, how, how you went about creating the group and how that kind of group mentality has yielded some of the major successes we've seen you have in the last couple of years. Yeah, I left my previous coaches after the Rio Olympics. And my husband, Joe, started coaching me and a friend of mine who I had raced over the years, um, Aisha Lear, reached out because she was looking for a new change and a new coach. And she came out to Colorado and that was the fall of 2016. Then our group just slowly grew and now we've been a group for three years and have a really great group of women covering everything from 800 up to the marathon and everyone is super positive, really hardworking, funny. Uh, we laugh a lot, honest. Everyone is really eager to like get their max out of themselves. And so it's just a really positive, positive training environment where, you know, we show up, do our work, we don't complain, but then we also enjoy it and have fun with each other and support each other. So it just, Part of it is the people that, you know, we turned down a lot of people, but the people that we have had in our group, it's just positive and physically talented, but also the right personalities to match the team culture we want. So yeah, we're, we're very happy and um, we work hard at, you know, creating um, an environment that creates success. And I think Joe has done a great job at that. And I try to work really hard at that and, just, yeah, very proud of the girls and proud of our team. And when you say you turn down people, is there like an interview process and it's about like synergy and do you do like some, you know, practice workouts together? And if, you know, things aren't working, it's just like, sorry. No, I just think we race each other enough on, on international circuits or domestically that you just start to get to know people. And it's usually if we're turning someone down, it's, but you know, our skill sets don't quite match up or we don't um, timing isn't right or whatever, but we're, we're, we actively pursue people who's, you know, who we're friends with or whose personality fits, for example, like Corey McGee or, or Dominique Scott, I raced both of them and knew both of them through the circuit, but like we reached out to them to see if they wanted to move out to Colorado because we thought physically they're fit. And then I just knew their personalities that they were really sweet girls that were willing to work hard. So it's not turning someone down because they're, you know, we explicitly hate them or something, but it's just maybe not actively pursuing someone. 
unless we know they're a really great fit. That makes sense. And you don't want to grow too big, too fast, that kind of thing and risk a good thing when you have it. But I think it's fun to watch you guys on social media, you ladies on social media. And um, it seems like it's, it's very successful formula you have going on right now. So keep it up. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for having me and talk to you guys soon. <laughs> The Iron Woman podcast is proud to be supported by Zelios Skincare. Zelios products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, swim and sport shower products, and body lotion. You can get 20% off at teamzelios.com by using the code IRONWOMEN. Yep, you heard it right. Get 20% off your Zelios order with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. Okay, Alyssa, one of my big takeaways, I don't think this was meant to be a big takeaway, was that Emma drinks a gallon of noon every day when she's at altitude. Do you do that? I mean, that's a lot. Haley, after she said that, I actually did start looking at how much I was drinking because I felt like I drink a lot of noon, but I was like, man, a gallon is a lot, right? So I have a bright pink hydro flask that I use a lot for my noon drinking when I'm at home. And I, it's 32 ounces and I drink, I would say three of those usually a day. And that is three fourths of a gallon. So I am not quite um, at Emma noon drinking status, but I guess I'm at sea level. So I don't know what the conversion there would be, but I think the thing that is clear is that we love our noon. I know. I want to try that sometime. Maybe I'll just get a gallon jug and just put an entire tube of noon in there and try to drink it. Like that's also an unusual way. Cause I'm like a glass by glass or water bottle by water bottle kind of person that kind of seems like it might be kind of like wildly, what do you call that? Like um, I can't find the word, but feel good, you know, where you like dump the entire tube. Oh, yeah. It. And then you get to watch all the effervescence. Yeah, that, that's got to be therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, therapeutic. That's the na- word I was looking for. Maybe I'll try that this week and I'll report back. And if our listeners, if you guys would like to watch the episodes of Noon S TV that Emma is hosting, the first one with myself and the second one with other pro triathlete, Kayla Kobelin that we've had on the Iron Women podcast as well. Um, you can go to noonas.noonlife.com. And you can also, please, try to drink. Do the the gallon noon challenge and report back to our our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how it went. If, you, if you're suddenly running like Emma, I mean, it might be the key. Just make sure you're spreading the gallon out over the course of the day, you guys. Don't try and drink it all at once, please. Safety first. <laughs> oh, I know. I know we are, we, get, we need a lawyer on staff here for me, but, um, and also when, if you can leave us a rating or review on your iTunes or uh, podcast app of choice and also our Patreon account, we totally love our Patreon community. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us. If you do want to join that, it is patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And we're thankful for all of our, our, our sponsors and our supporters and our listeners. Thank you for listening. All right, Haley, I hope that you are enjoying the last 
few big training days before uh, I hope uh, hopefully you're tapering soon for California International Marathon. Oh my gosh, I forgot I was doing that. Thanks for the reminder. Oh man, I should have been running more this past weekend. No, sorry I'm, to I'm bring good. you back to I'm reality, good. but we will we'll chat with you more about that and find out how that's going next week. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.